Turn it with me in your Bibles tonight. Luke chapter 17. And put your other finger in Matthew 24. These are parallel chapters. Luke chapter 17 tonight. God's last day forecast. Launched it off this morning. The days of Noah part one tonight. We will call it the church on vacation. Uh, But I'm going to pray. Father God, Lord, we just give this message to you. Let me speak only what you want me to speak. Lord, I pray that you would anoint our ears to hear, our hearts to receive it, Lord, and our feet to walk it out of this place. Lord, that you would just uh, uh, do your work. Stir up your church, O God. Fill us with the divine power of the Holy Spirit uh, to make us lights in this last day. Somebody said? Amen. 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 Uh, God's last day forecast. If you missed this morning, I encourage you to check us out on online. All of our sermons will be up weekly or biweekly. Uh, you can also get an app called SoundCloud on your smartphones and, and, and it'll get you a notification anytime one of our new sermons are posted. So check that out or see me afterwards. But Second Peter chapter 3 verse 1, you can stay in, in Luke 17. But Second Peter chapter 3 verse 1, we read it at the beginning of our service tonight. Uh, this is now, beloved, the second letter I'm writing to you in which I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. I love this. That you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. I, Peter writes to his church, knowing he's about to probably die, and he says, I want to stir up by way of reminding you what the prophets spoke, what Jesus spoke, and what the apostles spoke about this uh, mysterious plan, basically, that's been revealed, that one, that Jesus Christ has come, the prophets foretold it, but they also foretold that He's coming back again. And He wants to stir them up because He knows that in the last days, bad things are going to happen, and He wants them to live in this place of stirring. Uh, you know, like Paul told Timothy, the same thing when Paul's leaving, he says, I want you to fan into flame the gift of God that's within you, that there's got to be this kindling of something, and there's... The, both of these guys are dying. They, they're going to be martyred. And they're passing on this to their churches. They're saying, I want to stir you up. I want you to remember something. I want you to have this really, really good. And I want it to be living and moving and breathing within you. This prophetic word of God that the last days are coming and Jesus Christ is coming soon. Uh, are, uh, I guess I'm asking us tonight, are we stirred up? Are we really stirred up believing Jesus Christ is coming soon? Uh, and uh, Brother John, we'll, we'll watch that video later. I, I forgot about it. Uh, are we really stirred up? Luke chapter 17, verse 22. If you're there with me, somebody say, Amen. Are we stirred up? Luke seventeen twenty-two, and he said to his disciples, The days will come when you will long. Everybody say long. Long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. I think there's something to these two words, stirred up and longing. Uh, And these are the the premise of where I want us to go tonight, is that one, are we stirred up? Is there something stirring up to remind us? Like, man, God has got this plan. 
And from Genesis, he told the Messiah was coming. And you could see he told David and or he told Noah and Moses and David and the prophets. And then he came and then he told his apostles and then they preached it and they all died. And they believed it enough to die. And then it's gone from the church to the church to the church. There is this prophetic plan of God that he has lined out this path and it's not done yet. It's just we're, we're just right here. We're about at the end of it. But it's not done yet. There's more that God will write in salvation history yet to come. And heaven is still waiting for the final part of God's prophetic plan. And he's saying, that should stir you up just a little bit. And then Jesus says in Luke 17, 22, he says, hey, there will be a day coming when it seems like I'm not coming, but you will be longing for me to come. How many people are longing for Jesus to get here, right? And I wonder, though, how many people in the church really don't long? What do you mean by long? It's like that yearning, that desire. Like you, when you, uh, when your husbands, when your wife goes away for a couple of weeks, you are longing for her to get back and make you some good food or something, right? You know, or you're longing for your children to get back when you haven't seen them for a while. There's this yearning to be with that person and, and longing for them. Are we longing to... Would you describe your expectancy for Jesus to come back as a longing? So is it stirring? And is it longing? I, uh, I woke up from a bed and found myself in a nice modern hotel room. Uh, not, this is not going where you think it might be going, right? Uh, it was bright. It was clean. It was new. Uh, and on the wall was these horizontal windows like you'd see in the 70s that they, they, they slide back and forth. They're just about this yay high, about a chest level. And you would slide them back and forth, and there was a screen on it. And they tilted outward. I'm in this hotel room, and I wake up, and the TV's on. And I look out, and I see the ocean. And I think I've shared this story before, but I'll share it again. I look out, and I see the ocean. The breeze is blowing in, and I know that I'm on an island I look out and there's this great big bay and crystal clear water. You can look down out the window and there's shells and beaches, blue and purple and fish are swimming. And I look out in this vast bay and on the right is another peninsula, an island, and there's a great dark mountain on it. And on the left is a, is a flatter island and it goes out like an L. And then there's a city, a silhouette of a great city with skyscrapers. And I'm thinking, wow, this is a beautiful place to be. Large island, large skyscrapers, and a mountain on one side. And I look out and I see this crystal clear water below and this great place to vacation. I think to myself, the sun is shining, the ocean waves are cresting slow back and forth. Everything's tranquil and, and peaceful. So I, my camera is on the floor and I reach for my camera and I desire to take a picture of that, that water below. And I notice, but wait, I notice this other beautiful background. And in the far, far distance was these purple and black billowing beautiful clouds. And it was, so, it was so far in the distance that you ever seen those times where the sun is shining where you are, but it's dark over there and it's just kind of this awesome contrast. And I remember thinking, wow, this is going to be a great picture. And I see some lightning in these purple clouds. Well, So I pull my camera up to take this picture of these clouds going from left to right. It's breathtaking. And I see four or five bolts of lightning striking rapidly, this blue, very unusual lightning. And I was like, man, that's, that's interesting. This purple cloud, these blue bolts of lightning, it was beautiful. 
and the ocean behind me just cresting back and forth. I was like, this is exactly what postcards are made of. And so I taking my camera and I, I hear my mom leave out the where I, I guess it was a condo. We, she left out the door and she gets in her car and she's driving to the city. And to go to the city, you have to go across the bridge. And then when you go across the bridge, you get onto the peninsula and you go all the way in. And so I know she's leaving and, and I, I'm thinking, you know, I'm on vacation and I'm, in my knowledge and in this moment, I'm thinking, well, she's got to go do what she's got to do. And that TV, little bitty old TV with those little twist knobs. You remember those adults? You had to click, 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 turn it. It was on and the news was on and, and I began to take that, that TV, that camera again. I go like this. And the news is on. And then a, a splash of mist hits the wave. I'm like, oh, I don't want to get my camera wet. So I put it down. And immediately I look again. And as I had put my camera up and in the wind, the splash, I put my camera down again. And immediately the storm is halfway to me. And I begin to thinking, wow, that's quick. And I, and I look again and I hear all of a sudden in a blink of an eye, this storm has moved to me. The news station is, is talking about something and I, I'm not listening to it yet, but the waves have begun to crash harder. The sun has now become black, more splashing and more splashing and the whole screen is now covered in mist and the winds begin to pick up and these beautiful rocks under the clear water you can no longer see and lightning goes, strikes again four times. It never strikes once. It strikes four, four, four and four. Waves are getting high, the, the wind is riding, raising, and the, the, the begins, you just see the storm is, is here. And suddenly I realize, while it's probably unusual for the water to be this high, something's wrong. And I turn to my right and I see the news report. And the news report, I see immediately that the news station is, is in a panic. And they're saying, stay inside, stay inside. And they show clips of the skyscrapers. And people are on top of cars and they're running into these skyscrapers and the whole streets are filled with a wave of water. A tsunami has hit the island and taken over the city. People are dying and people are screaming and running. Immediately, I think, oh my gosh, what about my mom who's headed to the city? And as I, in that, and all this in a blink of a moment, and I, I think these thoughts and I look up and this large, enormous wave has come at me and it's all black and I... And I think in this moment, this fear paralyzes me and I gasp. And it was the fear that I knew at this moment, this was the end of all things. The storm has approached me, this tidal wave takes me and I wake up. That month I had been praying for God to give me more prophetic words for my young adult ministry in 2010, six years ago. I'm not one to have dreams and visions and share them, and I'm not one that, that listens to a bunch of visions and dreams, and one I would, I would caution about doing such things because there are many false prophets and, and, and all types of things out there. But immediately as I woke from this dream, I woke up in a sweat and a panic. Beth had already gone to work, and I woke up with this, this okay, go to the bathroom and, and get myself ready, and I rushed to the church. And I pull out my Bible and God speaks to me. He says, Matthew 24. I was just newly called in the ministry, not knowing really what that passage entitled. So I turn open to Matthew 24. It's the same as Luke 17. And the title that the first thing I read, it says, As in the days of Noah, they were marrying and giving in marriage and doing all these things. And they did not know the flood was coming until it was too late. 
And the Lord spoke that into my heart so very real that day because I had been a person, a Christian, even called into ministry, that was believing like, Lord, I know you're coming, but it's kind of over there, right? I got these things to do right now, and, and maybe you're coming, but I kind of want to get married and have some kids. I want to have a job. I want to get these things done before you come back. And I didn't really, yes, Lord Jesus, come, everybody, hallelujah, right? We all say those songs. We all believe those things, but it really wasn't like a, a, a motivation. It really wasn't in me, if you know what I'm saying. It was up here, but not in here. Can, do you understand what I'm saying? And I said this in Matthew 24, 37. I, I'll just read it again. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying, giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took all of them away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. And the Lord led me. I'm, I'm praying about this dream and I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, I am not going to Hawaii or, you know, <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm like, OK, is that what, what are you saying here, God? Is this about to happen? Am I going to go die? I know I'm saved, but the fear that came over me is as if God put me in the place of an unsaved person. And he let me experience in that moment the gasp of hopelessness, of loss of control and of true terror when you realize this is the end. And I'll, I'll never forget it. Six years later, I still remember the feeling. And I can still see the way, I can still see the clouds, I can still hear it. And he led me to Revelation chapter 16, verse 17, an interpretation. Revelation chapter 16, verse 17 says this, The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple of heaven from the throne, saying, It is done. There were noises and thunderings and lightnings. And there was a great earthquake, such as Amadi, and a great earthquake has not occurred since men were on the earth. And now the great city was divided into three parts. Remember, there was three islands. It was divided into three parts. And the cities of the nation fell, and great Babylon was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine and the fiercest of his wrath. Then every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. I prayed, and the Lord gave me this interpretation. I'm just going to read it to you because I wrote it down many years ago. But just as in the days of Noah, they did not know the flood was coming until it was too late and upon them. The same will be true for many in the church during the last days. They will be on vacation. Concerned for nothing of God's times and seasons. Not preaching or living the message of repentance. All will be at ease and they'll look upon the paradise of Babylon, the world's stage. They'll see signs of God's judgment in the far distance. They'll awe and wonder over it in amazement. Remember, I'm just looking at it like it's awesome postcard, this camera all in wonder of it as of amazement, as if to take a picture. They will not deny them, but they will stand from the comfort of their position, yet suddenly the end will come upon them. In an instant, without warning, what was once a breathtaking far in the distance, fun to talk about in times, will without warning suddenly overtake them and there will be no escape. A paralyzing fear will grip their hearts. How could what we saw so far away get here in an instant so will it be for the church that is on vacation I believe god gave me that prophetic word for myself to wake me up and probably to wake the churches that i've been sent to up in the fact that the last day will be like any other day 
I have been often looking for, in my younger years, certain events to line up to happen or things to get worse. Let me tell you, nothing else is needed for God to come back. And what may look like something that could happen in 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, I believe could happen like that. We might be thinking, well, I'm waiting for World War III, or I'm waiting for this Muslim Antichrist, or I'm waiting for the Jerusalem Temple to be destroyed, or I'm waiting for this or that, or, or this to get bad, or American economy to really, really, really crash. Like, you know, it's crash, but it's going to really, really crash. We follow all these doomsday things, but there is not one event that is going to prevent. And let me just tell you, in one moment, if someone bombed the Jerusalem Temple, sorry, the Dome of the Rock, the Muslim Temple in Jerusalem, we would be at war within a matter of seconds. This world would be done. I'm just telling you, there, it takes one crazy person and we have World War III and you and I would never know it. There'd be nuclear warheads going over everywhere. There is not one thing that really needs to happen before Jesus comes back. And, and I look at this and so many times it says, and look at with me in Luke 17, verse 28, because I think what is happening right now is a lack of understanding, a lack of spiritual knowledge, a lack of spiritual understanding that we begin to perceive and think and we'll talk about end times, we'll preach about end times, we like to listen to it, it's cool and it's awesome to really listen to, but it never really shakes us up, stirs us up, causes us to long for Jesus in the way that produces last day's results. If you're, Are you with me? It's like we can have end times conferences. We can follow the latest apostolic prophetic speaker. Love to hear about these things. And we love when the pastor talks in end times. But are we living in the power of the church in the end times? Now, now, this understanding, and let's, let's go here for a minute. Luke 17, verse 28. It was the same as happened in the days of Lot. So Jesus said it happened just like in the days of Noah. Now he goes on and says, just like in the days of Lot, they were eating, they were drinking, they were buying, they were selling, they were planting, they were building. On the day that Lot went out from Sodom, excuse me, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just the same on the day that the Son of Man is revealed. Now look at this. In Matthew and Luke, in both chapters, it says they are eating, they are drinking, they are marrying they are buying, they are selling, they are planting, and they are building. What do those things have to do with Jesus' second coming? Buy, sell, trade, build, plant, marry, have a party, whatever. Really nothing. You know what happens on a general day in America? People buy, people sell, people build, people plant, people marry, people bury, people eat, people drink. It's going to be just another day. The last day that Jesus comes back will be just like today. It will be just a normal day. And we will not know it until it comes. And in that moment, you'll either be ready or it's going to be too late. I look at these things and say, wow, God, it was just a normal day when Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed. It was just a normal day when the flood came. And it'll be a normal day when Jesus comes. People are so focused on this earth, its pleasures, and they'll miss the new earth. People will be so focused on their plans and they'll miss God's greatest plan. They'll be driven uh, by this, to satisfy these carnal cravings and they'll be too full for the heavenly food that uh, uh, God has been providing for them. And it comes down that you can sum all these things up into 
the lusts of the flesh. Now, people think about lust. They think sexual sin all the time. Lust of the flesh. That's not what it means. It's this craving for more of things that satisfy this earthly body. It's food, it's drink, it's pleasures, it's movies, it's TV, it's Facebook, it's clothes, it's material possessions. Things that, that comfort this flesh. People are so concerned, so focused on looking down when we're supposed to be uh, looking up in church. It's just like the wilderness experience. God wants to take His church to a place where we rely only on Him. And we have nothing to eat but that spiritual heavenly bread and that water that comes from a living brook. The streams of life. And when his pillar of fire and cloud begin to move, then we say, yes, Lord, here we go. Where are you going? Well, you're going this way. You know, you're 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 watching it and you're saying, God, this world is not my home. I'm passing through. And it's just like, God, I don't care about these things. If we had such an eternal perspective, you think of the things that we could do if we really lived. And the Lord kind of challenged me. I began to preach this message years ago. Uh, and when I say, what if you live like Jesus was coming today? You know what we'd be doing? Get ready! You know, like, I mean, it would be crazy, right? We would, we would quit our jobs. You know, some people would go to Six Flags real quick. And then, you know, like, <laughs> you know, we wouldn't invest in our 401ks. We would, we would just be screaming. Everybody get to my house, texting all your family and friends. Get, hurry, 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 Jesus is coming. But what if Jesus was coming back at the end of this year? Now, think about the way you might live that way. Or maybe at the end of next year. You know when people have a, uh, they say, hey, you're going to die. You have cancer. And we don't know how long. You have six months to maybe a year or two to live. Now, you still have to provide for your children. Maybe invest in a savings account. You still probably need to work because you really don't know. But you know it's not very long. You know what those people begin to do? They really begin to live life. They really begin to invest in other people. They really get their priorities in order and they don't care about all those extracurricular things. They care about people. They care about family and friends and, and leaving a legacy behind what really matters. And, and the Lord kind of impressed upon me that what if, Heath, you had one more year? What if you had one more year? Because, you know, in that one year, I would begin to strategize that, God, by the end of this year, I want to have reached the most souls for Jesus Christ. There's some strategy involved. There's some planning involved. And there's some prayer and, and, and holy living. And I, I think that's the way that it's going to be a normal day. But church, where are we going in this? Where are we going spiritually? And what is the knowledge that we have? These people had no knowledge that it was their last day. They had no knowledge. Jesus told us. He's told us He's coming. We know this. It's just fact. It's not a story or a legend or a fable or something that may happen maybe in your grandchildren's day. It could be just like any other day. I think about Timothy talks about it and, and so does Second Peter that in the last days people will uh, be lovers of pleasure. They'll be lovers of self. They'll, they'll hate their parents. They'll, they'll be greedy. Uh, Peter says they'll revile where they have no knowledge. I like that. They'll be doing things they don't even know what they're really doing. It says they'll be like carnal creatures, like animals headed for the slaughter, unknowingly headed for the slaughter, just focused on uh, satisfying the flesh. You know, that cow or that pig, they're focused on eating, drinking, and, and, and doing what a cow or a pig does, right? they just doing what they do. And so many people in these last days, they're going to be moved and controlled by their basic cravings. 
But we, church, are not to be that way. We're to put all of that aside and say, God, I crucify my flesh. I'm not following or being managed by my carnal cravings, by anger, by jealousy, by food, by drink, by, by these things of pleasure or comfort. God, I'm being moved by the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says that, or sorry, Second Peter also says that Lot in this day was oppressed by the sensual fleshly conduct of unprincipled. And he was, uh, the Bible says he was a righteous man, but he was so oppressed by living in Sodom and Gomorrah that it actually affected his family, we find out. And we, we find out what's the story. His wife doesn't make it. She turns around and Jesus says in, in Luke 17, 32, says, Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to keep his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life will preserve it. I think about weakened families that when we are not living with this knowledge, this stirred up, this longing, that even though Lot was a righteous man, not all of his family made it because they were living in Sodom and Gomorrah. They were not living with the attitude and in the, the atmosphere of a family that had some spiritual knowledge. There was, he wasn't pulling his fam, pushing his family along. They weren't stirred up and aware of the times or aware of their surroundings and how much they were affecting them. And even though the Bible calls Lot a righteous man, we don't, when, you th- when I say Lot, how many people don't think that he's a really good guy, right? The Bible calls him a righteous man, but there's not many good things about him in Scripture. Even though he's a righteous man, we look at, I think I just, it's a sad story. It really is. He never should have went there. He never should have let his wife go into that place. Because, and, and what about us, man, woman, grandma? How are we stirring up our families? How are we calling them to remember and to long for the things of God? And there's a spiritual knowledge that we have to pass on. Hosea tells us that God's people perish for a lack of knowledge. Lot's wife desired her old life to satisfy those cravings. What are we longing for? Jesus says in Matthew six thirty three, Seek first the kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. How do we put God's way first? How do we walk in understanding? How do we stir ourselves up and keep these thoughts in our mind? How do you live like this may be the last year? What if Jesus Christ does really come at the end of 2016? Will we have Gina at the... Will we be living in Gina? Will we be growing this church as if Jesus could literally come back at the end of this year? What would we do? Think about it for a moment. What would you do in your family differently? If you knew Jesus was coming back at the end of this year, how involved would we be in the church and evangelism and discipleship? How would our worship services be? How would our preaching and the altar response be? How would we be growing his church and so invested in saving eternal souls from an eternal damnation that nothing church really else matters? We wouldn't be complaining about all the piddly things. We wouldn't be worried about what what this world can provide for us in, in 20 years or, or what, I'm, what I'm living or wearing or what my job situation is, we would literally be saying, God, I'm actually going to do what your word says. I'm going to seek first the kingdom and trust God that that is the highest priority on your agenda, God. So it's going to be the highest priority on my agenda. And know that, God, you're going to get me through because you want your agenda complete. Right? I mean, he's going to resource all of your needs. If you're fulfilling his mission, I believe that that's what the Bible says. All these promises of God's favor, protection, provision, all of his blessings, his securities, all of his love is all in the context of believers who are seeking first God's priorities. 
And when we seek first his priorities, then he is sure to fulfill us and keep us going. He's just going to keep pushing you along. Well, I'm going to make sure they're, they're, they're financially able because I know they're giving. I'm going to make sure that they got a job because I know they're reaching out to people. I'm going to make sure that their, their supply is adequate to get them through the journey that they're walking on. That's the way it works, church. That's the way the promises are fulfilled when we are stirred up and longing for his return. I'm going to close with that one verse, 2 Peter. We're going to go into a time of prayer. We're going to pray for one another tonight, just a few minutes left. 2 Peter 1, 3. Now, I've underlined these words in my Bible. Seeing that His divine power, that right there, His divine power has granted us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the, there it is, the true knowledge of Him. That's the, the knowledge part. They didn't have knowledge. But the, you have a divine power that gives you everything you need in life. And it is given uh, because there's a true knowledge of Jesus Christ who's called you by His own glory and His own excellence. And He is going to grant you His precious and magnificent promises. That means He's going to give you the power now and He's going to give you the power then because He's going to come back and get you. His promises are yes and amen. He's saying, I'm giving you divine power. I'm giving you a knowledge relationship with me. I'm going to give you magnificent and precious promises. And so you can be, it says, be partakers, and here's another key word, of the divine nature. You can walk like Jesus, talk like Jesus, act like Jesus, and be blessed like Jesus was. God's going to be with you. The Holy Spirit's going to be in you. And it says, you will escape. You will have escaped the corruption that's in this world by its lusts. God is going to rescue the church that is on fire. He is here to rescue those people who say, you've got my divine nature in you. I'm filling you up with power of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to let you walk through this world. And even though there's lust and corruption in this place, you're going to walk through in that divine nature because my power is within you and you've got the divine nature. You know me and my promises are secure in you. I'm going to bring you home. Man, that is... I could read that passage over and over again and say what I just said five times because I this right here, God is sticking this out. Divine power, true knowledge, divine nature in the promises of Jesus Christ's second coming. I want to grow in the Holy Spirit. I want to grow in His divine nature. I want to be so uh, excited about the promise of His return that we just walk through this world that's corrupt and lust-filled and Jesus Christ is just on our side. We've got the victory. Amen? Amen.